Um, at this moment now, I will be committing to Arizona State University. Right? Arizona State? So you go to Arizona State to go to Arizona State. What makes you looking for in a program as far as academics um, and just if I wasn't attending or playing football that would be a school that I'd love to attend. Now you mentioned academics you have a 394 GPA and you want to be studying business law how how big of a factor was that in picking Arizona State? It was a huge factor just um, knowing how many connects you could have um, coming out of that, that program. I was living in a devil town didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town The audio you just heard was from Eno Benjamin's commitment to Arizona State University on January 7th, 2017 uh, That's when he committed, but you can say that he definitely arrived last weekend breaking a long-held single-game record uh, from Benny Malone, 1973, 45-year-old record, uh, 250 rushing yards in a single game by rushing for 312 yards, good for eighth all-time in the history of the Pac-12 for a single game uh, as Arizona State gets the big win over Oregon State. And uh, we're not going to spend too much time talking about uh, Eno Benjamin's performance or that win. Obviously, we got into it on the, the post-game show that we did for Devil's Junkie, Chili and I, uh, after Arizona State's win. But I, I do want to mention a couple of things that I, I'm not sure I got to on that show. Um, and, and one of those things is that Herm Edwards and Benny Malone actually played against each other uh, on October 7, 1979. The Eagles beat the Redskins 28-17, and now Herm Edwards is here at Arizona State coaching Eno Benjamin, the sophomore running back who broke Benny Malone's ASU single-game rushing record. Benny Malone is the brother of Art Malone. They're both from Eloy Santa Cruz. Um, high school, and, and that's the same school that brought Arizona State Levi Jones, the offensive lineman who ended up being a number one pick about a decade ago. Uh, he fell behind Kadeem Carey, uh, who ran for 366 yards uh, for University of Arizona, and then you have Reuben Mays, Ricky Bell, Joe Williams from Utah, Khalil Tate rushed for 327 yards in a game last year, then Maurice Drew, uh, Ken John Barner, and Eno Benjamin comes in at eighth. Uh, obviously, just absolutely shattering the 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 best that anyone uh, wearing an a ASU uniform has ever done. And after the game, you might have noticed that he wasn't necessarily surprised by his performance. And one of the reasons for that is Eno Benjamin ran for 300-plus yards twice as a senior at Wiley East in Texas. He ran for 353 yards on only 23 carries in a win over Marshall. And versus North Forney, he ran for 309 yards and six touchdowns on 24 carries and also went 8 of 15 as a passer for 147 yards and two touchdowns. So he is, he is very good at football. This is a guy that knows how to run the ball. He's somebody that I've said over and over again over the last year and a half that he reminds me a lot of Sean Alexander. Um, Herm Edwards broke out the Curtis Martin comparison, and, and who he coached with the New York Jets. And Curtis Martin's one of those really interesting running backs at the NFL level because he was just incredibly consistent over, I think, a 13-, 14-year career uh, wasn't necessarily ever the best running back in the NFL, but he did really, really well, had fantastic instincts, and did everything right. It's it's just a great comparison for Herm Edwards to throw out there. and Maybe they're a little bit more physically similar than, than me throwing Sean Alexander, who played at Alabama, and then for the Seattle Seahawks after that. And one of the reasons that I threw Sean Alexander's name out last year when I first saw Eno Benjamin is just that you know, there's nothing that Eno Benjamin does that you say, wow, that's the best, you know, uh, spin move, or that's the best juke, or that's the best cut, or he hits the hole harder than anybody else, or he has the best vision. 
but he's a B plus in almost all of those things. And because of that, it allowed for an incredible performance at Oregon State. And now he gets to travel to Boulder, Colorado against the team that he really showed what he could do last November 4th uh, against in the uh, in the the soldier tribute uniforms here at Sun Devil Stadium when, when Arizona State really broke down University of Colorado late in that game. That's when Eno Benjamin kind of flashed a little bit of his ability. And he's done so earlier in this year uh, as well, as especially on Arizona State's final drive against Michigan State. And definitely in his 26 carries against Washington, he showed that he has the ability to be a very special player. I do not want to, uh, to get away from the fact that this offensive line definitely deserves praise. Uh, for what they were able to contribute to that performance as well, especially doing it without Casey Tucker and and with with Zach Robertson, who hadn't had a whole lot of reps this year and hasn't had a whole lot of reps at tackle in general. Uh, But Cole Cabral and Steven Miller just continue to be an absolute force on the interior, uh, getting a great push. And if you create those lanes for a guy like Eno Benjamin, he's going to do some serious damage. So one running back arrives, another running back chooses to move on and we'll talk about that here as Brock Sturgis uh, one of Arizona State's most coveted uh, recruits of the last recruiting class out of Allen High School he rushed for almost 2,000 yards as a senior 27 touchdowns undefeated Texas State champions he came in and and Hode Rubino and, and myself as well we really looked at him as somebody who could kind of pick up where Demario Richard left off. Uh, he has a lot of, had a lot of the same traits as Demario Richard physically, uh, and then he really brought what I, th- I thought would, was going to be an added element in the passing game. As far as uh, one of the bigger running backs, obviously you'd like to see you know Floyd uh, and Traylon Smith get involved in the screen game and use their quickness. But I, I really felt that even for his size, he's a guy that you could have brought out of the backfield and split out wide. Um, and a very, very talented running back, and per Herm Edwards, a mutual decision for Brock Sturgis uh, to depart Arizona State University. If you remember, I think he was an early signee to the class of 2018, along with uh, they also signed A.J. Carter out of Louisiana, uh, just an enormous running back prospect. And then Demetrius Flowers, who who is out of California and is currently gray-shirting. So with Brock Sturgis's departure, the running back room looks like this. You have Eno Benjamin and Traylon Smith as sophomores. Uh, Isaiah Floyd, also a sophomore. Both Floyd and Smith have not played much this year. Herm Edwards attributes Floyd's lack of playing time um, ultimately to him still learning on the job. And we can pretty much attribute Traylon Smith's uh, lack of playing time early on to disciplinary reasons. And then it seems they kind of froze him out this last game because of his fumble against Washington. And then you have A.J. Carter, who has gotten in a game, a very, very big, very physical running back who is probably going to need a little bit of time to get in the the, the type of shape and get used to this level of game speed. Um, And then uh, Demetrius Flowers coming in. You also have the recently reconverted Nick Ralston going from fullback or from linebacker back to fullback. uh, and, And he could probably get some carries if you needed to as well. Uh, Arizona State a little bit thinner at running back um, today than they were a few days ago. And some people might not necessarily think that's a big deal. Uh, I forever have years like 2004 uh, singed in my memory where, you know, you had Hakeem Hill, um, Lauren Way. You you just had, you you were using people like Rudy Burgess to run the ball. Um, I think Preston Marshall was it Preston Marshall? Anyway, you had a, you had a ton of running backs that year switching in and out to get carries, um, and it wasn't necessarily the best recipe for success. That's an Arizona State University team that could have potentially gone undefeated. Uh, instead, that team had three losses, and in those three losses, averaged under three yards a carry. And any time that you're you're rushing for 
Um, and not Preston Marshall. You had these were their running backs that year that 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 had at least 40 carries. Randy Hill, 42 carries for 155 yards. Preston Jones, 46 carries for 157 yards. Lauren Wade, 50 carries for 185 yards. Rudy Burgess, 77 carries for 404 yards. And Hakeem Hill, 122 carries for 566 yards. Uh, and then you just had a ton of injuries, ton of drama. Um, two players that I don't even think were meant to play running back at all getting carries that year. I constantly think about that year, year in, year out, because you never know what amount of depth you're going to need at running back any given week. So it's good to have as many as possible. Obviously, ASU is still very deep. Uh, Traylon Smith and Isaiah Floyd aren't yet proven, but we know what they can do. Uh, A.J. Carter, obviously, is somebody you probably want to be able to redshirt, so they'll probably hold off on using him too much. Uh, it's really got to kind of be the Eno Benjamin show from here on out, which is really what it was against Oregon State, and really what it should end up being against Colorado. Before we talk Colorado, before we talk the week of practice, uh, I want to make a quick switch over to basketball as they're gearing up. They've started practices. The season is right around the corner. I think it's probably less than a month before we start seeing some of our first scrimmages and games. So, But Arizona State added a, a point guard recruit for the 2019 class, and more of a combo guard, Alonzo Verge, who was the Chicago Sun-Times High School Player of the Year in 2017. He moved around a lot, uh, but he, you know, he finished up his high school career um, in Illinois. He was the Chicago Sun-Times Player of the Year. Uh, had a great senior year in high school, where he, I believe, averaged something like uh, 28 points. Eight rebounds and seven assists as a high school senior. He ends up going to Moberly Area Community College, where as a community college freshman last year, he averages 24 points, four rebounds, six assists, while shooting 56%. Uh, not a great per- percentage from three-point range, 32% from three-point range. Um, but Alonzo Verge uh, will give Arizona State an interesting option as far as a scoring guard. He's about six foot three, and again, just an efficient scorer. Not necessarily somebody who's going to get it done from the outside, uh, but somebody who has the ability to rebound, has the ability to pass, and he can really fill it up. He broke Moberly Area's uh, long-time held community college record for uh, for points in a single game when he went off for fifty-one points in a tournament, which was the second game of that day. The second game of the day uh, at the JUCO level, and he went off for 51 points. So this is a guy that can definitely put the ball in the bucket. Uh, he's somebody that uh, that Arizona State, I feel, is going to need to kind of stay on. Um, I mean, and you, you've seen them do that. You've seen them turn community college guys, uh, second chance guys like Torian Graham, um, into great contributors, uh, you know, Torian Graham, who maybe struggled with discipline a little bit, ends up having a very successful senior year at Arizona State. Uh, Obi Oleka, who struggled maybe with grades and, and was at, I think, three different community colleges, finished very strong at Arizona State. And so they're, they're going to need to have that same level of, uh, of discipline and support uh, for a guy um, that that I, I think even missed five games last year due to disciplinary reasons at Moberly Area and played, I think, at three high schools uh, just in his last year and a half of high school. So, um, you know, it, it's a little bit of a project, but very, very high upside when it comes to when it comes to Alonzo Verge. Um, and, and I think he knows that this could be a good place for him as well. He told Hode Rubino in his interview on DevilsDigest.com that the school had a lot of good people to be around. It's like a family and they really care about their athletes. He said, I knew this would be a good fit because they're interested in what's going on in your life. They want to make you a better person and not just a better player. And that was very big for me. I really liked all of that, how much love they were showing me. All the people I met were very genuine and there's a lot of positive energy everywhere. That really stuck out for me. So, uh, he also, I think, 
played in high school a little bit with Lugan Stort, who who is uh, incoming freshman for Arizona State this year. So there's a little bit of a connection there as well. Uh, but as you can see, he's somebody who wants to come in into college have success not only uh, as an athlete but as a student and believes that Arizona State's track record is something that will help him achieve that. Uh, it hasn't worked for everybody, obviously. You know, um, uh, you, you've, you've had guys like uh, Jethro Tashumpa, uh transfer out, um, Mauricio Field. You know, you, you've, had, you've had issues with some of the guys that have come in under Bobby Hurley, but you've also had quite a few examples of great success stories of guys transferring in uh, with already some experience under their belt and finding a home here. Uh, and so that'll be an interesting addition to the 2019 class. Um, which, which as it stands right now, also includes uh, Jalen House, um, who is probably more of a pure point guard, right here from Shadow Mountain. He's the son of Eddie House, and could, if we're being honest, potentially include Kyrie Walker, um, who is uh, probably more of. I, I if there's such a thing as a power guard. He's it. I mean, he's a guy that's in Charles Barkley's in-shape uh, Auburn body, uh, 6'4", you know, over 200 pounds, um, who's currently a class of 2020 guy, could reclassify, but is currently considered the number 14 overall prospect and a five-star in the class of 2020. So um, very guard-heavy class of 2019 right now, especially if Kyrie Walker chooses to to jump on over uh and as we transition into basketball season i'll be sure to bring you plenty of more content as will devilsdigest.com You know, we just have to be crazy about the details. Um, me with my routes, many with his with his drops, the way he releases the ball. Um, you know, just just things that can be fixed throughout the week of practice and stuff that we're gonna have to work on this whole week. Crazy with details. That was Nikhil Harry this week responding to a question from uh, Channel 12 reporter Tressa Tudrick talking about what it's going to take for Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry to get on the same page. Um, now, it, not, it might not necessarily be what Arizona State needs in order to beat Colorado. Colorado, while they haven't surrendered a ton of points this year, very susceptible to giving up yards. Um, they, they are not the best defensive team. They definitely graduated quite a bit of talent last year. And there's somebody that Arizona State needs to take seriously, but at the same time, there's somebody that if Arizona State is firing on all cylinders offensively, isn't necessarily going to pose much of a problem for them. And so you hear Nikhil Harry talk about the fact that, you know, they feel like they can actually pinpoint some of the stuff that's going on as far as not being able to get Nikhil Harry the ball, Nikhil Harry not being able to secure the ball when it gets to him, Manny Wilkins not necessarily being as accurate uh, when, you know, he drops back and there's pressure. Obviously, he said that, you know, they had issues with Manny Wilkins being ill against Oregon State, and ultimately, you know, his performance didn't really matter much. Um, I did want to try to put it in some perspective this week because the the debate surrounding Manny Wilkins just continues, and it's not helpful that you have Bryce Perkins and Blake Barnett and Brady White all starting for other teams all across the college football landscape that you have to compare Manny Wilkins to every single week. You know, there's some animosity there. Um, I, I did an interview with Ryan Keeley a, a, a few years back, and what he said as far as quarterback competitions, and he would definitely know, is any quarterback competition that you sort of drag out, uh, you invite the players to be part of of that controversy, part of that quarterback controversy. So you'll have people that make choices based on previous allegiances. You'll have people that have preferences based on, I mean, even tiny things like who they like to hang out with off the field or even something as superficial as even, you know, race. 
you know, you, you could have uh, players divided amongst any different type of line. It, I mean, it could be religion. It could be anything, you know. And so when Manny Wilkins won the job as a redshirt sophomore and then didn't have the job going in as a redshirt junior and had to win it again, I mean, that, that's probably one of the most prolonged quarterback battles um, in the history of at least Arizona State football. And so over that amount of time, you invite people in to have preferences. And, you know, we're all human. Um, you know, people are going to stick with whatever their initial thought was, uh, especially if somebody is is struggling and they had thought that maybe Arizona State should go with somebody else. Well, Manny Wilkins also, you know, had the benefit of being somebody who, A, doesn't turn the ball over much, which is something that was great for the previous staff, and B, uh, somebody who had already started. And it's really, really hard for coaching staffs to make a change. You, The thing that amazes me year in and year out at every level of college football is that coaches don't even necessarily understand what they have. At backup quarterback, I had constantly said about Blake Barnett, you're not going to know what you have until you put him in the game. His highlights were almost all, you know, the best highlights anyway of him in high school. What led to him ultimately being one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the country was what he was able to do on broken plays. You weren't going to get Blake Barnett's best in practice. And even then, how often has a backup quarterback come in and been so much better than the starter that you're just left to wonder, what do coaches do all day? When they know what it is they're going to get with a certain player, it's a lot easier for them to go with that player, which is why I always predicted and said, whether it was on Speak of the Devils podcast or on devilsdigest.com, Manny Wilkins was going to chase every single one of those other quarterbacks out of ASU because he already had the experience. He didn't turn the ball over much. Um, he showed that he had the ability to bounce back from physical ailments. Um, he, he had a pretty decent deep ball last year, especially. Uh, and so, you know, I was always under the impression that it was going to be Manny Wilkins and that, you know, you, I, I thought maybe Brady White would stick around, but, you know, I figured that Br- Bryce Perkins was going to have to look elsewhere. Blake Barnett was going to have to look elsewhere. But here you have, you know, because all of those quarterbacks have gone somewhere else and because it's just in our nature to wonder, you know, you, if, if somebody has revealed to you what some of their flaws are, you know, somebody else who hasn't revealed their flaws yet, in your mind, they don't have any flaws uh, because they haven't been revealed. And so, you know, you have people that are already clamoring for Dylan Sterling Cole, which is kind of interesting. We even have guys on our message board talking about, you know, maybe we should start uh, a walk-on in Kurt Walding. Um, while Ryan Kelly recovers uh, from shoulder surgery. And, and the whole thing is just interesting to me because it's always going to be that way. Um, people are always going to wonder what the backup quarterback can bring. Uh, but Manny Wilkins, he, he, has, he has definitely struggled with accuracy, and there have been a couple of critical decisions that, uh, that he, um, we'll just say he was on the losing end of, uh, and, it, and it was his decisions that led in those moments to losses. Um, but at the same time, he's not a guy that that turns the ball over much. And in an offense like Herm Edwards is trying to run, where Arizona State's just going to run the ball as much as possible, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I ran some numbers this week, and I, I want to pull those up because uh, I think that it's eye-opening to just see the amount of turnovers that actually take place in college football uh, there, there are a lot more than you would than you would think because when you watch Manny Wilkins and you watch him not turn the ball over, you assume like, oh, well, anybody can do that uh, if you know they're not out there taking a bunch of risks and they're just dinking and dunking. You know, anybody can anybody can throw twenty five passes in a game and not have one of them picked off. And statistics have have not shown that to be true at all this year, especially uh, in the Pac-12. And those statistics are so skewed in favor of Manny Wilkins being the best quarterback in the Pac-12 as far as his ability to protect the football. You know, obviously, if you look at things like uh, um, yards per attempt, Manny Wilkins is in the bottom third of the conference so far. But as far as, like, uh, pass attempts per interception, look at this. Chase Garbers, Cal, uh, who he was almost an Arizona State commit before Ryan Kelly flipped from Oregon. 19 attempts per interception. Justin Herbert, who everyone thinks is going to be the number one pick in the upcoming NFL draft. 
27 attempts per interception. Jake Browning and K.J. Costello up in the Pac-12 North. Washington and Stanford, 35 attempts per interception. Khalil Tate, the Heisman favorite going into this season, 50 attempts per interception. And then you have Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA, 55 attempts per interception. The freshman, J.T. Daniels at USC, 56. Uh, Steven Montez, who Arizona State's going to be facing off against uh, in Boulder this weekend, 60 attempts per interception. Tyler Huntley, who does a great job protecting the ball, 64 attempts per interception. Gardner Minshew who has thrown 40% more passes than anyone else in the Pac-12, 68 attempts per interception. Connor Blunt at Oregon State, who does a fantastic job protecting the ball and is very efficient, 108 pass attempts per interception in 2018 so far. Manny Wilkins, 170 attempts, one interception. So 170 attempts per interception. And if you look at if you look at completions per interception... Uh, you have just the top three, Steven Montez and Gardner Minshew, are at 46 completions per interception. Connor Blunt is at 70, and Manny Wilkins is at 108. So he protects the football, and if you're not turning the ball over, you're going to constantly have a chance to win. But I think what Arizona State fans would rather have is somebody who's dangerous downfield, who also you know, isn't afraid to get picked off every once in a while. I don't think that that's the way that Herm Edwards and Rob Likens are going to want to play this. And 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 they're not, you know, and he's definitely overthrowing receivers. But at the same time, if you look at that game against Oregon State, if he doesn't overthrow Kyle Williams, then Eno Benjamin maybe doesn't get the record because he breaks that long run with the spin move on the very next play. If Nikhil Harry doesn't drop that ball in the end zone, then Eno Benjamin doesn't get his third rushing touchdown. Uh, you you do see a hesitancy from Arizona State to just loft the ball up to Nikhil Harry, which I've said time and time again I don't totally understand because the the disparity of talent at the Pac-12 level between what Nikhil Harry is able to do and what anybody who's covering him will be able to do, especially if you place the ball you know, at least on the sideline where nobody's going to be able to come down with it and do any damage deep down the field. Um, you know, I, He turns 50-50 balls into 70-30 balls. But if you're not taking those chances, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice. But you can't always just have Nikhil Harry streaking down the field and trying to, you know. But but then again, we watched Taylor Kelly and Jalen Strong do this for the better part of, of two years. So I would like to see them try that a bit more. That late touchdown pass from Manny Wilkins to Nikhil Harry. Nikhil was not open. It was not a good throw. That was Nikhil Harry making a play on a ball that probably shouldn't have been let go in the first place. I don't know why Arizona State was throwing in that situation anyway. So, you know, that was something that I was a little bit surprised by as far as the first five games of the season, uh, that they haven't really allowed Nikhil Harry to go out and make plays on behalf of Manny Wilkins. But then again, the flip side of that is Manny Wilkins is able to throw 170 passes and only throw one interception. So Manny Wilkins is protecting the ball. Nikhil Harry recognizes there's things that he could be doing better. Manny Wilkins recognizes that there are things that he could be doing better. But ultimately this weekend, it's going to come down to the same thing that it came down to this last weekend. Can Arizona State run the football? Can Arizona State run the football? And you have to love that Eno Benjamin's reaction um, to his record-breaking performance was this simple phrase right here? Um, there's there's more left to do. Um, I would say um, there is more left to do, and that more is going to come at the University of Colorado. Uh, I will tell you that that Colorado is definitely, uh, you know, for being four and zero. Obviously, a lot of people have talked about the fact that they haven't necessarily played anyone. And I think that's fair. I, I don't discount that win over Nebraska in Lincoln, um, especially considering, you know, it was pretty late in the game before that quarterback was knocked out. And so uh, to me, that's a, that's a good win. Everything else is a little bit suspect at this point, but I still feel like Colorado is a decent enough team and somebody that Arizona State should definitely worry about. They haven't had a really good time in Boulder the last two times they've gone. The very first ASU game that I ever covered in person was four years ago when Taylor Kelly broke his foot 
up in Boulder and 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 Colorado was really, with Sefo Lufau was really kind of able to do whatever they wanted offensively before Lufau got knocked out of that game. Um, and then uh, two years ago when Manny Wilkins went up there banged up and, and Colorado just absolutely manhandled them in a season that Colorado, I think, had a share of the, the, the Pac-12 South um, title. I think they had the Pac-12 South title, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken. And so um, this is a pretty good coaching staff, of definitely really good offensive uh, side of the ball as far as their assistance. Uh, and they, they've done a good job developing players, especially in the defensive backfield. I think it's a dangerous game for Arizona State. If Arizona State doesn't trust themselves to go out and use their playmakers, sling the ball all over the field, and impose their will, um, you know, then this is definitely uh, one of those games where they're probably going to go out with the same strategy they had against Washington, try to just run the football, run the football, run the football, um, it, it, and and hope that it's less of a strategy of them attempting to keep the game close than it is one that they can actually use Eno Benjamin uh, and that running game to build a healthy lead uh, as as the defense makes somewhat of a stand against a very talented Colorado offense. So what does Colorado have to offer? Let's talk a little bit about that next. Sunday morning, church choir on familiar context. Put it on my heart. Praise God for the conscience. Writing in the spirit. Can you hear it? Uh, can you hear it? Can you feel it? Artificial limit clear. Do it, do it. Right here now. So let's start with the area that Arizona State had trouble with against Oregon State, the running game. What does Colorado have to offer uh, by way of their running game? Well, Trayvon McMillan, their running back, uh, is a grad transfer from Virginia Tech who had 450 carries for the Hokies before coming over to Boulder. He had 200 carries for 1,000 yards as a freshman back in the 2015 season. And this year, he's averaging 7.3 yards a carry, has four touchdowns, almost 400 yards on the ground. He is probably the number one player that you have to worry about because he's bringing an experience that Arizona State's defense just doesn't have. Uh, He has shown a lot of ability um, to, to make plays in the running game thus far this season. He is somebody that uh, that I think Arizona State is going to have a hard time containing, which makes the other weapons that Colorado has available uh, even more dangerous. They've got sort of a big change of pace back in Bo Bisharat, who almost committed to, if you remember, almost committed to Arizona State after, I think, not qualifying at Stanford, did an official visit to ASU, uh, didn't like it, didn't vibe with Todd Graham, wasn't really sure that they were going to stick to the idea of actually playing him at running back, went to Boulder just before making his decision and, and I mean, and didn't even consider ASU uh, at, the, at that point. Um, and so that was kind of a little bit of a slap in the face to ASU fans because they were excited about getting a four-star running back uh, who, who, who was headed to headed to Stanford at one point. Well, he's having some success for the University of Colorado right now. He has 21 carries, I think over six yards a carry. And so you have to worry about Trayvon McMillian, uh, Bo Bicharat. Uh, and then, you know, Steven Montez can get out on the run a little bit too as well. Uh, I don't think he wants to, but if you force him out, he can definitely move. And the thing you really have to worry about with Steven Montez is – a lot like some of these other quarterbacks in the Pac, um, Pac-12 that ASU has struggled against, uh, uh, namely um, Jake Browning, uh, this last time that they played, not necessarily getting pressure on him, he was able to pick and choose his spots. Steven Montez can do that as well as anybody. He is big, uh, he is tough to bring down, and he can move around. And right now he's got a 76% completion percentage, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, and so... You know, he he's really, um, I think, only averaging about 30 pass attempts per game. But if you think about it, you know, this is a guy that, that every single game is going about 23, 24 for 30. That's going to be tough if, if he's got that kind of accuracy 
And this is a team that actually does the thing uh, that people uh, sort of are, are, are out there calling for Arizona State to do, which is just force the ball to their, to their most potent weapon, LaVisca Chenault Jr., a fantastic wide receiver who Arizona State pursued out of high school, uh, who could play running back if he wanted to. This is a guy that's six foot two, over two hundred pounds, incredibly physical. He is a football guy. That's it. That's really all there is to him. He just wants to play football. He doesn't care where he's out on the field. If you find a way to put the ball somewhere in in his vicinity, he's going to come down with it. And his, Arizona State typically plays their corners. You know, on 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 one side of the ball, and they and, and they have them guard a side of the field. They don't necessarily have them uh, trail players. So it's going to be an interesting challenge for Arizona State to have to track Lavisca Chanel all over the field because it's not like Chase Lucas is going to be following him around or Kobe Williams is going to be following him around. You know, there's going to be times when Lavisca Chanel lines up in the slot, and that's where Arizona State has really struggled defensively with. You know, while Shari Crosswell has gotten a lot of snaps, Langston Frederick's got a lot of snaps, but when there's a big play given up in the passing game, it's almost always the responsibility of either them or one of the other safeties. And so, you know, LaVisca Chenault's going to present a challenge. KD Nixon is another guy that Arizona State went after who's an athletic freak coming out of high school in Texas. Uh, and, you know, he's got 18 catches for 193 yards for um, for Colorado. So he's played more of a little bit of a possession receiver role while LaVisca Schnault's been the game breaker. If Colorado's running the ball effectively and Steven Montez is able to pick and choose his spots to to, to carve apart Arizona State's defense, it's going to be a really long day for ASU out in Boulder. The only way to beat this Colorado team is to put Steven Montez on his ass over and over and over and over again, which is not necessarily going to be easy to do because he can move, he's big, uh, and so that that's that's going to be a little bit of an issue for Arizona State. I'm not 100% sure that I'm confident in ASU's ability to slow down a team that is currently averaging 284 yards passing and 200 yards rushing per game. Um, the good thing, I think, for, uh, for ASU is there are definitely some holes on defense. Uh, this Colorado team is giving up 156 yards rushing per game against teams that, for the most part, they've been leading. Um, and so, you know, the one thing that they, they do well on defense, that Colorado does well on defense, is they force you into some ill-advised throws. Um, but, you know, I think the completion percentage against the University of Colorado is 51% on the season so far. And again, they haven't really played anyone of note. They haven't really taken on any quarterbacks that have any experience yet. But if you look at the fact that Steven Montez, who was like a two-star recruit out of El Paso, Texas, that nobody else wanted, is completing 76% of his passes while the defense is holding you know, opposing quarterbacks to 51%, obviously there's a big reason for some of the success right there. Just efficiency and effectiveness. Um, now, Colorado... Uh, you know, Colorado State isn't awful, but they did blow them out to start the season. Uh, you know, the win they got against Nebraska was sort of a, a, a win at the end that was aided by the fact that, uh, you know, Nebraska had lost their their quarterback. And, they you know, they don't have a lot of people that are currently buying into Scott Frost's system, whereas Mike McIntyre is in like his sixth year as Colorado's coach. And so, you know, there's experience versus inexperience. And then, you, you know, you had New Hampshire who didn't give Colorado a game at all. And then UCLA, who actually came out, and I personally felt, um, moved the ball really well in the first half, especially considering uh, this is a this is a UCLA team that's, that's really had trouble doing anything right. Um, but in the second half, I mean, UCLA came out and, you know, they gave up some points and then they just got away from even trying to run the ball at all. I think Joshua Kelly had 12 carries for 124 yards against Colorado. I don't think any of those yards even came in the second half of, of, of the game. And so, uh, you know, when you send Dorian Thompson Robinson out there and have him try to throw every time, it's not really going to work out. So, I mean, that, that, that's the situation um, that, that Colorado is in so far this year, playing a bunch of teams that haven't really been able to do anything uh, offensively. And you can't 
really tell if that has something to do with Colorado's defense or if these are all bad teams. I would venture to say that it's a slight mixture of both. As far as the defensive side of the ball, I mean, they've got some okay players. I'm a fan of, uh, you know, Nate Landman has seven tackles for a loss. That dude is definitely a problem, especially considering he also has two interceptions and a sack. Um, and then Rick Gamboa, uh, their, their linebacker, 13 solo tackles right now, also has an interception. You know, th- those guys are, are, are not going to be as easily fooled as Oregon State's linebackers. Um, you know, Nate, Nate Landman is only a sophomore, but, but Gamboa, he's, I think, my goodness, I think he's appeared in over 40 games. And so, you know, you've got a ton of experience from, from Rick Gamboa. Yeah, he played in 13 games as a freshman, 14 as a sophomore, 12 as a junior, and already four this year. So, you know, you've got, you've got a couple of experienced guys. The secondary isn't as good as it's been in previous years for University of Colorado. I don't think that Arizona State is at a point where they are really willing to go out and test them anyway. But skill-wise, you know, Arizona State is head and shoulders above what Colorado has to offer in their defensive backfield. Uh, but what I really think this is going to come down to, and I could have just made this a very short podcast and said, it's the Eno Benjamin show, but it really is. If Arizona State establishes Eno Benjamin, that, that, you know, that was the game. Last week, I was actually predicting that it was going to be Traylon Smith that made up for his fumble. And that's not what happened at all. Obviously, you saw Eno Benjamin get 30 carries. So, and, and you know, Traylon Smith get one uh, carry in garbage time. So, you know, th- this game really comes down to whether or not Arizona State can establish some dominance at the line of scrimmage and then keep those uh, Colorado linebackers from making plays. You know, John Simon talks a lot about the fact that Arizona State doesn't fumble the ball, you know, very often. They're going to have to make sure that they don't do that. Because I, I, I don't see this being a game where Manny Wilkins is able to get through the end of it without at least one turnover. It's bound to happen eventually. Everything always regresses, um, you know, to the mean. And, uh, and, and Manny Wilkins isn't going to be able to protect the ball the way that he has been protecting the ball week in, week out, especially on the road. So I think you have to account for a potential at least one turnover from Manny Wilkins. If the running backs manage to not turn the ball over and the, the special teams continue to not put Arizona State in danger, I see that they've, they've found um, what, what looks to be a little bit of, uh, of stability with Nikhil Harry returning punts. Um, you know, if, if special teams continues to do its thing and and you only turn the ball over one time, I think you have a chance. But now Colorado, they just are so efficient and they move the ball so well that it's the line of scrimmage on offense for ASU and it's the line of scrimmage on defense. What you would like to see if you're an Arizona State fan is some of what you saw from Arizona State's defensive line against Michigan State coming out and you know and and making a statement against Colorado, shutting down the run uh, so that they're not getting gashed for the third week in a row because that's really the best way to beat this three three five is just to go right at it again and again and again. And I think that Colorado has the discipline to do that, but I also think that they're going to try to throw the ball they, because unlike Arizona State, they have that belief that if we have a playmaker, that playmaker, even if it's at the expense of our game plan, needs to be touching the ball. Whereas with Arizona State, you know, they want Nikhil here to, to get the ball, but they don't necessarily want it to be forced. They don't necessarily want any risk to be involved. So, so that's where we sit. If Arizona State handles the line of scrimmage and limits their turnovers, they win this game. Um, Colorado has the talent to be competitive in the Pac-12 South. They do not have the talent in a game where all things are otherwise equal to go head-to-head with a senior-heavy offense of Arizona State and a defense that they're not necessarily used to squaring off against. If you want to know more about this Colorado offense, I highly suggest you jump on devilsdigest.com. Check out Jordan K's analysis of Colorado's offense. Uh, you can also jump on devilsdigest.com and hear ASU defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez's comments from this week, head coach Herm Edwards's comments from this week, Manny Wilkins. Um, you can read Mike Singer, the publisher of, uh, of the 
CU Sports Nation, the University of Colorado rival site, talk about what he feels like um, the University of Colorado is going to be able to accomplish against Arizona State uh, this week. And then, you know, you can uh, you can look at also um, what uh, Jeff Griffith, uh, our other talented writer um, from the from the Cronkite School, has to say about what ASU or what University of Colorado is going to be able to do on offense. Um, I got to tell you, I personally, uh, if 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 it's prediction time, is it prediction time? All right, let's play some music. I'll come back with a prediction. Mama Mavis, oh mama, they try my patience. Is gone. Who was left to save us? We mourn. I'm praying for my neighbors. They say the devil's at work and is calling favors. You say I'm dangerous. I speak for the nameless. I fly with the vultures. I be with them bangers. If change don't come, then the change won't come. If the bands make them dance, then the rain gon' come. Am I passing to the light? Looking to your eyes. All the world is out of your head. All right, let's get to the prediction. Um, I, I would say that I leaned toward Colorado for most of the offseason in this game. I haven't seen a lot of stuff that made me want to change my mind, except that in Colorado's last game against UCLA, some of the things that UCLA was not able to do in order to continue to move the ball down the field are things that Arizona State really does pretty well. Colorado brings a lot of pressure. Um, sometimes they'll line up with a heavy front uh, and drop drop the defensive lineman back the same way that ASU does and just overload the outside. Um, and, and, you know, that will really only give the quarterback a chance to make a quick throw. Um, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson really wasn't able to nail a, quite a few wide-open receivers on on slants um and i feel like that's something that manny wilkins hasn't struggled with is the ability to to get the ball there quickly and accurately within 10 to 15 yards um i think that'll back off some of the intense pressure and aggressive pressure that colorado brings the other thing um that colorado uh was sort of not doing well early in the game against UCLA, um, was kind of guessing on on those run-pass options. You know, <laughs> where Dorian Thompson-Robinson was going to go with the ball. Is he going to hand it off or not? Second-half adjustments, I think they pretty much keyed on, on, on the running back, um, and that really put Robinson in a position where he had to win the game on his own, and he, he's not just he's just not in a place where he's able to do that yet. Um, as far as Arizona State goes, I, I, I think that Manny Wilkins could more than uh, more often than not make somebody pay um, for selling all out for the run. Uh, I think that he is able to do enough on his feet to turn what would ultimately be a sack uh, for a lot of quarterbacks into a scenario where he's getting two or three yards out of a bad situation. And so um, one of the other things that I, I feel like Colorado doesn't necessarily do very well is um, their defensive linemen don't get a ton of uh, penetration at the guard and center level, um, and that's something that Arizona State does really, really well is blow the interior defensive linemen off the ball when they are running the ball. And so, you know, I I, I don't necessarily think that UCLA – took advantage of some of Colorado's weaknesses. I think that UCLA blew a lot of opportunities. They were also not necessarily disciplined, and they had penalties cost them as well. But also, UCLA was leading this game against Colorado um, with under eight minutes left in the third quarter. Uh, and then once Colorado scored on on a direct snap to LaVisca Chanel, it was just over from there. You know, UCLA wasn't really able to move the ball uh, at, at that point, and Colorado kind of figured things out as UCLA, who's, you know, very, very much lacking in talent and experience, uh, just kind of gassed out there at the end of the game. But again, UCLA was leading at Colorado well into the third quarter, and the way that they were able to do that, um, e- even though they didn't accomplish much uh, offensively, was just by not turning the ball over. Um, and, you know, and they they were giving up sacks. They were they they had a bunch of self-imposed errors. 
um, but they were still able to move the ball. And I, so I feel like Arizona State's going to be able to move the ball. Um, and wh- whereas I felt good about Colorado for a really long time, watching them, um, watching them not be able to stop UCLA uh, makes me think that they're not going to be able to stop Arizona State either. And what it's ultimately going to come down to is what Arizona State's able to do on the defensive side of the ball. So because of that, I am betting on Arizona State's defense. Um, and I, I could absolutely pay for that. Uh, but I am betting on Arizona State's defense to keep their streak alive of holding opponents to under 35 uh, points in a game, uh, which I think stands at five right now, as does the University of Colorado. Uh, five straight games of holding an opponent under 35. I do believe that that breaks down um at least on Colorado's behalf, and we have Arizona State coming out of this game with a 37 to 34 win. ASU 37, Colorado 34. I don't feel great about it. You hear it in my voice. This isn't a same day flip flop, uh, which is um, you know uh, the UCLA game that I blew last year. I, I have gotten 14 out of the last 16 correct. Uh, this this is one that I leaned toward Colorado for a long time, but after watching Colorado and, and again, seeing what UCLA was not able to do and not able to exploit and seeing that those things actually lend themselves to be strengths for Arizona State, uh, I am calling a road win for ASU 37-34. So we'll see if that's worth anything. Uh, tomorrow, I will be flying out to boulder i will be out there i believe with jordan k for devil's digest so follow along with devilsdigest.com jump in the premium huddle i think hode will be in there possibly chili as well uh we love spending time with you guys during the game uh, make sure to follow at devil's digest on twitter follow me at ralph amston and we will be bringing you all of the updates from boulder maybe stick around and catch a colorado rockies game on sunday since uh since you know, they're plugging away in the playoffs. This has been Ralph Amsden for the Devil's Junkie Podcast, and we will catch you next time. I in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends were vampires. Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town